Got car trouble? Now's the time to talk with Jerry on the Simmons Car Care Shop Talk Show. Call in now at 719-1490. Well, if you're one of the millions who own one of them gas-drinking, piston clanking, air-polluting, smoke-belching, four-wheel buggies from Detroit City, then pay attention. I'm about to sing your song, son. Hey, welcome back to the second hour of the Simmons Car Care Shop Talk Show right here on ESPNTucson.com, 1490 AM, 104.9 FM. I'm Jerry Simmons, your host, and I do have a special guest for this hour, Mr. Eric Bell from Mr. Packrat. You heard me say in the last hour on the catalytic converters that I'm lining up an expert, a person who actually knows a lot more about the catalytic converters, and I believe in experts. I have had Mr. Packrad on Chris, who is retired, where Eric is replacing him. And for all the information I got from the uh, person that I was checking out on Eric, uh, he's the right guy to be on the show. And this portion of the show is brought to you by Parker Automotive Service Center, 5101 East Speedway, 323-1960, 323-1960, Parker Automotive ParkerAutoAZ.com. You can speak to Scott or Ryan over there, and then if you can catch him, you can speak to Mike Parker, who's the owner. <laughs> Absolutely an excellent shop. they got all the high-tech stuff for uh, analyzers. Uh, they've got it for front-end alignment. they got the big alignment equipment like uh, Automotive Specialist does that Simmons has. So you've got coverage on the high-tech alignment equipment around Tucson now. Um just as they've been in business, got a beautiful, been in business about 26 years, I think. Uh, Parker Auto Service Center, Automotive Service Center, uh, 5101 East Speedway, 323-1960, 323-1960. They do have pickup and delivery service. They have shuttle service and everything that goes with it. They are a professional garage, professional. 323-1960. All right, my special guest for this hour, of course, we introduced him a little bit on the last hour, is Eric Bell, Mr. Packrat. All right, Eric. Yes, sir. One, I want to, you to tell us a little bit about, uh, one, I want your phone number. You can put, uh, the phone number I've got is uh, 529-9191. Is that correct? That is correct. All right. And I want to make sure that people know how to get a hold of you because, the information that you're going to regurgitate in the next hour, uh, that, you know, sometimes you just need a professional. And if you haven't had the privilege of having to track, uh, trap these pack rats, uh, you'll know why I say you, you, you need a specialist. You know, Brian Fuller told me this, uh, yesterday, or last night, 
He said uh, he's got a rental property, and he said he moved his daughter into it, and she called him and said, Dad, I got pack rats. I said, well, we know who to call. Yep. So what what's the skinny on the pack rats and, and the varmints that are actually good for us and bad for us at controlling all of this stuff? Well, You're uh, on. to start with, so the ammo we, that we call the pack rat, it's uh, it's called a white-throated wood rat. That's its, its true name. Um, it's a rat-like animal. It's not a true rat. A uh, true rat will have a scaled tail. Uh, our pack rats have a furred tail. Um, very good mothers. Um, they build these elaborate nests just for defending their young. And so you'll see the, the piles of cholla, prickly pear, rocks, sticks, whatever's readily available. And it's all for defense. Usually, usually just one animal per nest. Uh, sometimes you will get in a situation where you'll, you, you will trap multiple animals. But these animals really defend their nest sites. They're, they're very territorial. They don't live in, you know, they're not social animals. They're not like the, the ground squirrels or mice. So it's really key to remove the nest, trap the animal first, and remove the nest site on your property because the nests just get reused over and over. Um, you know, several different generations of animals would just continue using the same nest site. And some of these nests wow. are quite large. So there's so much we can do just around our yards uh, of trying to keep these animals under control. There's nothing you can do to keep an animal from coming onto your property, but just, uh, you know, everybody should be going out, checking out their property, walking around their yard. Um, the, the secret to not having nesting sites on your property is landscaping. Um, this is, what this means is, you know, you want to be able to look under your plants. If you can look under your plants, you have good, um, you know, 10 to 12 inches of space between the the surface as well as the top of the plant, you can look under it, you can see through it, it's not going to be a good nesting site for these animals. They, they, they like the tight, concealed spaces. They like the cover. Um, this is an animal that just wants to survive, raise its young, and if you can open up an area so that the animal can't nest there, the animal's going to move on. So trimming a prickly pear, um, you want to be able to look into a prickly pear plant you want to be able to look around it, see it, have it nice and open, have it trimmed up. Same with uh, your agaves. You don't you don't want your agaves to, to be clumping up. You want to be able to trim around the, the, the base of the plant, trim the blades. Uh-oh. You don't have to go very high up, but um, these agaves do propagate very quickly, and they, they turn into what we call well, an agave do. clump. And these are, it's a very formidable nest once the animal settles in. Uh, same with desert spoons. You want to trim the bottom of them. Uh, the spoons, you know, they harbor the rat. They harbor uh, other things, too, things that we don't really want in our yard, such as the rattlesnakes, um, yucca. Um, all, all these plants should be trimmed up. There's some plants that we have here that are just very difficult to trim like that. And rosemary's one that comes to mind. Uh, rosemary's, in my opinion, a, a horrible plant to have in your yard. It, just the nature of the plant sprawls. Once an, an animal moves in, it's very difficult to trim that plant so it looks very uh, pleasing to the eye. We, you know, you try not to butcher anybody's plants in their yard, but rosemary is one that um, you, you got to take out a lot of it. You got to open it up. Um, I don't see too many issues in lantana. Uh, lantana is one plant that tends to harbor more snakes than anything, but uh, it will die back in the wintertime. But when I see issues with lantanas, when it's really overgrown, especially around the base of a tree, 
um, that, that can become a, a problem area. Um, it's important to have separation between plant species. If, if you have a cholla, a really full cholla growing right next to a prickly pear or a, a prickly pear growing under, under the base of a palo verde tree or a mesquite tree, you want to move that prickly pear. You want you you, you want to uh, you don't want anything near the base of that tree. It just it, it's too inviting to these animals. Um, Hmm. You know these nest sites. Uh, the, the, they are kind of like icebergs in the sense that you see, you know, what you see is above grade, but there's so much below grade that you just don't know, realize it's there. These these animals are pretty good diggers, um, not as accomplished as our, our ground squirrels, but uh, they, you know, they'll have side channels, they'll have ledges. Uh, you'll have the nesting site, the feeding area, or you know, the food storage. Uh, they'll have a latrine area. Very clean animals. Uh, their actual bedding area looks a lot like a bird nest, and it's just you know grasses, polyfill, you know polyfill from people's cushions, whatever is readily available, they'll, they'll take. And so when you tear up these nests, um, you, you'll, you'll see how everything's kind of nice and compartmentalized inside. And these nests are home to many different things besides the pack rat. We'll find a lot of different reptiles in these nests, uh, a lot of different uh, insects. Um, so you know it's, it's a little habitat. In, in itself, in that sense, but yeah, there's so much we we can do around our, our own yards to make sure that these animals are not becoming a problem. We we never want to store personal items right next to our walls. You you want to have a nice open area, and you, you want to check around your AC units. Um, you want to make sure that the lines entering from the house into the unit. You want to look to see is there a way for an animal to gain access into your AC unit. You want to check your pool equipment, check out your pool heater. Um, so many different uh, makes and models we have here. Um, but some of them are made out of plastic. The entire housing is made out of plastic, and these animals' teeth will go through everything, plastic, lead, wood. They can chew through stucco. Uh, I have a hard time drilling into stucco, but they can. Uh, once they have a little area that they can start working on, um, you know, being a rodent, these animals are always gnawing. So you, you just want to be able to check everything around your property, minimize the hiding spots, work on the landscaping, you know, open up as much as you can. And like I said before, there's nothing you can do to stop them from coming on your property, but there's a lot you can do around your home to make it so that the animals don't get a foothold and become, become a bigger problem for you. Holy cow. 719-1490, 719-1490. If you have a, a specific question, Eric, give us a call, 719-1490. And holy cow, well, you were talking about uh, their, <coughs> excuse me, their ability to dig. When mm-hmm. I first moved in out here, I took a tractor, and I found one that was over two feet deep. Oh, yeah. The hole. And, I mean, it's like a condo. Yeah. So these animals, they don't, they don't do well in extreme temperatures. So they, they have a very poor diet. They're eating cactus. It's a very high-fiber diet. But they keep their nest sites at a really comfortable 80 degrees, and that's why it's so, so inviting for so many of our other wildlife to, to move in. So the, dig, the deeper they go down, the cooler the temps. Um, you know, like I said, they don't do well in extreme temperatures, the, the heat and the cold, much like us. But uh, so, uh, you know, we tend to find our snakes in these nests. The, the snake will live in the nest, and not just venomous, but also non-venomous species. 
and they'll be on a side channel, um, coiled up, sleeping, um, digesting their last meal. And so you'll either encounter your snake when you start pulling that debris away. Either you'll find it right away or you'll find it near the end. So once you move, remove all that debris away and you're collapsing and backfilling all the channels, all the holes, that's usually when the snake decides that he doesn't want to be in there anymore, and that's when he'll make an appearance. And the same thing happens with, you know, the Gila monster will be in there as well, and, and different things. So you just, you're always on alert. You know, we've all had snakes come up between our feet, and like, oh, okay, where were you before? But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's just something you have to be aware of. But yeah, you'll, you'll find Holy crap. Stuff. Yes, scorpions, centipedes, all kinds of roaches, just all kinds of insects that we have here are taking refuge inside these nests. Same with the same with the reptiles. We've even we we, we uncovered a tortoise once as well. So I'm, you just <laughs> there's all kinds of things that live in these nests. Just you got to be cautious. Oh my gosh. Um, well, how about the um, you were talking a little bit about the Gila monster? Is the Gila monster is that a problem? Oh no! I know you oh, can't no. do anything with them. Huh? Yeah, no, no. Just you, you want to leave them alone. Um, you know, it's federally protected species. Uh, you know, we'll right. come across them, we'll trap them. I actually trapped one earlier this week. You just take the trap, move it a distance away, let the animal go, because I don't want to trap him again, so I'm hoping he doesn't come back, and he did not. But, uh, you know, they will help you prey. You know, they'll, they'll prey on the, uh, the the juvenile rats, hopefully. But then, you know, they'll, they're will they primarily an egg eater, quail eggs, uh, dove yeah. eggs. Yeah. But uh, you know they're they're a good thing to have around. They, obviously, you don't want to pick one up or anything. But, uh, um, but yeah, no, it, it, it's one of those species that you know it's kind of a special species around here. Um, they're rare to find, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it's always rewarding when you do find one. Yeah, it scared the crap out of you. Oh yeah, especially yeah. when you, when you surprise them and they surprise you back. Oh yeah, and uh, they they're spooky. All right, yep. now, uh, since it is a Simmons auto care thing, let's do a little bit on um, automotive. Of course, uh, why in the world, well, I know, but I don't think the public knows, why do pack rats love to go into cars? All right, so in that, the car just, it, it's a perfect hiding spot for these animals. So they get up in the engine block. So when the hood is down, they enter up from the tire, enter up from the chassis from below, and they start building their nests in the engine block. It is, it's just it's a perfect environment for them. They like these tight, dark, concealed spaces with all these nooks and crannies. They feel very safe inside these engines. And really, there's no predator that's going to help you eliminate this animal. And the rat knows this. They're not, these aren't stupid animals. So it's a perfect environment. It doesn't matter if the car is driven every day. I've been in people's homes who it's their daily commuter car, and they keep getting animals rebuilding in the engine block, as well as cars that have been sitting in a, a lot for three months. They just take refuge in the engine. It's just a perfect hiding spot for them. So the way to deter them from doing this is you want to open up that environment. So you want to open up the hood. So once the hood is open, it is not such a safe place for them. You want to put a light as bright as you can go. So you want to illuminate the top part of the engine, but you also don't want to forget about the bottom part. You want to illuminate as much as you can, top and bottom, and as bright as you can. So don't worry about the Christmas lights or the little strobe lights. Um, 
don't 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 spend your time or money on that. It, they're just not bright enough. You want to go as bright as you can. That will help you. But the best thing you can do is to park your vehicle in an area with as much open ground around you as you can. You want to have a good buffer zone around you. I understand it's not always feasible for some folks, but that's why the landscaping uh, is so key around your house. I've been in people's yards where they park in their car outside, and but they have a pack right nest that's five feet away. Until that nest is resolved, you're always going to have an animal probably enjoying time in your engine block. Wow. And there's wow. there's nothing, there's, you know, yeah, I've seen it all. The dryer sheets, the mothballs, the soaps, the bobcat, fox, coyote, urine and liquid in solid form, the mm-hmm. essential oils. Um, well, that one guy's house, he, he was told uh, used kitty litter will deter the animals. So he was spraying or pouring out his, his used kitty litter all over his driveway. And in some places it was two to three inches thick, just this caked material. And I asked him, do, do, do you like this? He said, no. And the ammo just kept rebuilding an engine block. These, you know, these, these animals don't care about that stuff. <laughs> yeah, a lot of gimmicks. Oh a, lot, a lot of gimmicks are at our hardware stores. Uh, the rodent pallets or and the little noisemakers, uh, they, they, just, they just don't work. Trap the animal, get rid of the nest. That's what you have to do. All right. Well, that's that's a basic. But you, the now in the automotive repair industry, I I see a lot of pack rat damage. Uh, mm-hmm. Fuller over on the west side sees a lot of pack rat damage, uh, and Mike Parker over on Speedway, believe it or not, sees a lot of pack rat damage come in from his clients coming out of the foothills and the uh-huh. outlying areas. And but people. You know, they, they have a tendency to say, okay, well, I live inside of Tucson, uh-huh. so I don't really have a pack rat problem. I don't know of any place that a pack rat, I mean, is there a place where you can move to other than Alaska that don't have pack rats? They're found throughout the West, uh, many different uh, subspecies throughout the West, different different behaviors, different habitat preferences. Um, we just have the white-throated here. Um, but, no, they're they're... And they're prevalent throughout the West. Every state will have them. Um, you know, when I lived in Washington, we had one in eastern Washington. But a uh, diff- little different behaviors. Liked our cabins, liked our rock ledges, um, caves. Was you know they do get in the vehicles. Wow. Um, but yeah, the one that we have here is just a little different. You know, the, you always see it stereotypical uh, with the choya. You know, the, the, these, these animals mm-hmm. uh, really know how to work with choya a lot better than we ever will. Um, they're not impervious to the spines, but uh, they they are they know how to gently handle it. But uh, no, you know, it, it's not all these pack rats too that are getting in our engines as well. It it's. Rodents right. as well. I, I've been to homes where they, they they say it was a they were told it was a pack rat that was in the engine block, and you look around and all the droppings that you see inside there are just indicative of mice. So yeah, pack rats do get blamed for a lot of damage when in fact it's sometimes just one of our other rodents that we have here. And not wow. everybody knows the difference between pack rat and mouse. So it's one 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 thing for listeners to understand there is a difference. And it's good idea, good good way of uh, you know identifying droppings 
Um, look, look, a pack rat dropping will be about half inch long, nice rounded ends. Mouse droppings are obviously smaller, usually have pointy ends, usually a twist to it. Um, I mean, this area is going through so much growth right now. We have so many people moving here from all over the country, and a lot of them don't know what a pack rat is. So a lot of what we do is just educating people. But I do get calls a lot of somebody's, you know, they're seeing droppings on their back patio, and you go to the house, and it's lizard droppings. So it's really important to know the difference between lizard droppings and mammal droppings. And same thing with bats. We have a lot of bats here. Bats like to spend their time... Um, they're flying around at night, and they'll roost under our covered patios, and they'll leave droppings, and people will see this, and they, they automatically think it's pack rat, but it's actually bat. So it, it's good to, to know the difference between the mouse, the pack rat, bat, and lizard droppings. Wow. I, I was actually went wow. to a house where I was called out because pack rat droppings were found in the yard. I showed up. They pointed it to me, and it was coyote. And I told the guy, I started laughing. I was like, if a pack rat was that big, I'd be in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be, I'm approaching this all wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> well, you know, the only difference I know between a coyote and a pack rat is a coyote will eat a pack rat if he gets a chance. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So coyotes, and, uh, bobcats. Yeah, coyotes and bobcats. Do you have a problem with bobcats running around now in two? No, no, no. Mm-mm. Well, they, in my opinion, you can well never have too many yourself. bobcats. Yeah, I need more predators. That's uh, what I need. Now, what what kind of diseases do pack rats carry? All right, so there's there's a there's a lot of misinformation out there. So before I had this job, I, wor- I worked in laboratory animal sciences for like 24 years, and I had more issues more concerns with zoonotic diseases working with those animals than I do with working with the pack rat. You'll, you'll, you'll hear people talk about hantavirus a lot. And any right. any rodent is capable of carrying hantavirus. But just checking the, the reports, there's one case in Cochise County of hantavirus, some up north, uh, Four Corners area. But it seems like the hantavirus is more carried by deer mice. So when I lived in Washington, it was a big problem up there. Uh, more people are being affected by it. Down here, not so much of a problem. Uh, it, it, I, I consider it a very low risk. Um, when, when you're dealing with these nests, when you're dealing with the droppings in the urine, you don't need to be um, garbed up in, in a biohazard suit or anything. If you're more comfortable wearing a mask, please do so. But the uh, only time I ever really wear a mask is when I'm working in a shed uh, removing a lot of the de- debris, the droppings, and that's mainly just because I'm I have a lot of allergies towards dust and stuff. So um, there mm-hmm. is an odor to this stuff, but uh, you, you know it's not a biohazard. Um, I, you know I don't recommend getting bit by one of these animals. You you want to be very good if you're going to handle them to be very quick, uh, no hesitation. Always wear gloves. But yeah, I had more issues working with laboratory animals than I do working with these guys. I mean, there's other hazards associated with working with these guys. I mean, you know, obviously the venomous reptiles, venomous insects, the cactus. Um, that's probably been my biggest thing, adjustment, working with the cactus down here. No matter how careful you are, uh-huh. you're going to go home with spines. It just it doesn't matter. <laughs> but, but, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it seems like there's so many things down here that want to harm you. But the, the pack rat is really low on the list. The pack rat, its droppings, um I, I'm not concerned about it. 
Okay, now let's let's take a scenario where a pack rat actually gets up into the engine department. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've heard, well, we do it at the shop, as we know saying it. Uh, we will actually try to wipe out the scent trail of the pack rat going up into the engine from the wheels, the under uh, suspension, and any way that they can get up there because we have seen pack rat damage come in on a uh, delivered on a wreck truck and it come in we raise the hood and the air filter box is completely full of mesquite beans yeah. the uh, top of the engine has so many mesquite beans on it the reason we wound up with it she couldn't get it to idle down it yeah. had jammed packed the intake of that so uh-huh. what's your recommendations on cleaning this? Let's just say, okay, Jerry Jerry don't know anything about pack rats. He's got a pack rat issue. He's got all this debris on top of his motor. Uh, what does he do now to slow them down before they get back a second time? Well, you know, you try, try to get as much debris out of there as you can. Um, use whatever you have to, blower, vacuum, whatever you have to. Um, some people steam clean the inside. Um, I, you know, avoid the ammonias, avoid the, the bleaches. Um, we, we use pine saw mixed with water. I, I, I've never sprayed it into an engine block. Um, I, I spray it around mm-hmm. people's patios. These animals are always leaving a scent trail. They're always urinating. So they're marking the territory. And once you remove that animal, that scent remains. And so another pack rat, a pack rat we haven't met yet, will stumble along that trail. And pack rats will always go where other pack rats have been. So I think it's a safe thing. I, th- I think they feel safe. They're, they're comforted knowing that a pack rat was here once. This must be a good home. And so they'll set up shop again. But you want to do it, you know, using the pine saw mixed with water, just a, a one-to-one ratio. Uh, use the yellow pine saw, the original. I don't know about the the, uh, the green one or the purple one. But uh, you want to spray down as much as you can to help minimize or uh, kind of cover that scent trail. It kind of helps neutralize it. But there's so many nooks and crannies in a car, I don't know if you can get rid of all the scent. I don't I don't think it's possible. And you have to do the top and the bottom everywhere um, to avoid future well, issues need- again. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. We, we we look at it like you've got to cut down the, the freeway. In other words, spray down the freeway that they're using to get up in the engine block. Uh-huh. And yeah. that seems to be, uh, you know, around the wheels, tires, uh, actually where you park the vehicle. Yeah. Uh, and and a, any place, you know, on the underside, because I haven't seen a pack rat parachute into an inside of an engine compartment yet. No. And so I just look at it, if you can get the ground around the area, uh, get it, uh, we use pine saw also. And if you can do that, and all that's going to do is slow them down because they're kind of like a coyote. They're not stupid. That no, no. stuff doesn't last forever, and they'll get used to it, and they'll just go on by it. Yeah. And so they're just a pain in the butt is what they are. Oh yeah, as uh, the That's inside, you know, w- yeah, on the in- on the inside of the motor when you're getting rid of all that cactus, I got a set of tongs, you know, little little hand gripper tongs, and I've been in there, but I've seen some branches of cactus in there, and I'm looking down the side of the engine, and I don't see how in the world they even got it up to that location. <laughs> I know, they've yep. got to be engineers. 
Yeah, yeah. They have a lot of time on their hands. They have all night to do this. Yeah. So they're uh, no, they they are amazing animals. I mean, they they are very frustrating, but every day you learn something new about them, what they're capable of, and uh, yeah, it is some of the stuff we see each day is just oh my God, what am I dealing with here? But yeah. Yeah. But yeah. You know. Oh. oh. When they, uh, you know, we've had to do a lot of research on it to find out why the pack rats actually go inside the engine compartment and they do damage, and people will try to find this stuff. Uh Well, we've got smoke injectors that we actually put on cars to find leaks in vacuum systems. And what we found is they're fairly short, so you figure anything about 6 to 10 inches above their head. Uh, on the bottom side, you've got to look at the bottom side of the wires, the bottom side of the vacuum lines, because, and it's almost impossible to find all of the skin marks and stuff without going in there, cleaning it off first to get, make sure you don't have another one sitting there looking at you. Yeah. Uh, we've had them come in from the foothills that actually we put the car up in the air. If you don't think technicians can move quick, you let a pack rat jump off the top of that gas tank and land in the pool. Uh-huh. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> but they, uh, the damage that they do, and people say, well, how much will it cost to get this fixed? We can't estimate it. No. Because until you actually do the job and find it all and verify that you've got it all, you don't yeah. know. Yeah, you know, we pulled exactly. dashes apart that had the uh, air conditioning systems completely full of pack rat nests and mice and pack rats, yeah. and they go in there. And people then people make the mistake of putting poison on it. I don't like yeah. to use poison because I don't like the the you know if you use poison and they get a hold of a rat or something that poison transfers, and to the species that picked it up like the owls, like the owls. And uh, I don't use that, but I've seen people, uh, we had a Ford come in one time, uh, a half-ton Ford, that the people had put the rat killer at the open end of the frame rail because he had pack rats, had rats inside there. Well, they went up, and the Ford has a false firewall, a firewall and then auxiliary firewall. It got in between the two firewalls, and it had eat that poison. They go back to the nest to die. Uh-huh. And we had to take a two-inch hole cutter and a bore scope and find out, okay, well, here's the nest. What we'll do is we'll just drill through this, and we covered this with a, their client before we ever started. We can, put a, we can put a plate on it after we do it, but that's the only way we can get that out of here. There is no other access we can see. No. no. And... Uh, we bored a hole in that uh, false firewall on, from the engine compartment, and lo and behold, we hit that hole dead center of that pack rat nest, and there we pulled dead rats out of that thing. It wasn't a pack rat. It was regular rats, mice. Okay. And that thing opened up. There was maggots. There was everything you can imagine coming out of that thing. Oh, uh-huh. my Lord. Yeah. Then we had to wait until the smell went away, and then we used a shop vac to try to pull it out of there. Uh-huh. That was probably the most intense job that I can remember doing to try to get that thing, get it all out of there. Yeah. But to find, you know, for people out there that are doing your own survey to find out what kind of pack rat damage you have, one, make sure you clean all that garbage out of there. You know, if you've got to go buy you a little set of tongs like I've done, 
or you can use the little tongs that you have in the kitchen drawer. Yeah. You know, the little, the ones where you get the spaghetti out and stuff. But yeah, don't tongs. reuse the tongs, you know. <laughs> <laughs> keep it, keep it in your pack rat emergency box. But, um, yep. it has to come out. And if it don't come out, and then what we do is when we get it cleaned out and get all the debris out of there, we found out if you use a blower when you're cleaning that stuff out, you have it all over creation, and then you have to clean up all the floors and everything else and the window seals and where all this dust and stuff is blown out of there. But you can uh, – and trying to wash it out is a waste of time, we found. Yeah. It just – you can't get it out. You have to pull it out. Yep. But I have never seen so many different sized sticks and cactus and stuff. And I'm looking down the side of the block. You can't even get in there to change a spark plug. How in the world can they get a nine inch cactus up through the side there? I know. I just don't get it. Yep. Like you said, a little engineers. But the light that I've been successful with has been the light. And I'm probably the only guy in the world now. I've heard a lot about the Ritter Rat. In fact, we install the Ritterats on cars, but there's a way you install that Ritterat. You may need two of those inside, but people will go in the inside of these late bottle cars. They'll put it right on top of the firewall. Well, it doesn't do anything because you've got a bonnet covering the engine. It's like yeah. a roof. So yeah. there is no light getting down to the bottom side. It's, so it's the, not bright enough. Yeah, I use a, a a spotlight. Just use a, mm-hmm. a regular spotlight. Yeah, burn some electricity. But I use it. But when you put the spotlights, you can hang it inside your engine compartment if you so desire. But you got to be careful because the spotlights create a lot of heat. And yeah. so you have to be self-conscious about the heat because if you get pack rat damage in there and you put heat to that dried cactus, it will burn. Yeah, it's all and combustible. So you can't really do that. Yeah, and you will also melt plastic lines and hoses and stuff like that that they have in there. And so we see a lot where people have tried to do the right thing, but they actually created a bigger problem by using that. You can use a high-temperature bulb, but you just use a big, bright bulb on it, like an outdoor bulb. Throw it on the, you know, set it on the ground under there and make sure that it's parked in a direction where it could get up into the engine compartment and just make it totally not comfortable for anything to come in and get it because if i remember correctly most of the pack rats that i've seen damage from has been overnight they take yeah. the day off and they work during the night yeah these are nocturnal animals yep yeah so that works out good all right 719-1490 if you've got a pack rat story or you want to talk to eric on this 719-1490 eric's number to shop again is 529-9191 Five two nine ninety one ninety one. That's Mr. Packrat, and uh, you can get him. But when I say use the professionals on these things, well, you got these engineers called Packrats out there or wood wood rats, and they can do some damage. And you, I have seen the repairs, especially when they get into the electric cars or the hybrid cars. They could run eighteen, nineteen hundred, two thousand, two thousand plus. So you can spend anywhere from about $350 to about, yeah, you know, 2000 3000 on it. And it's hard to get all of the pack rat damage out of it because you've got lines going to the fuel tank senders coming out of the fuel tank. These guys get up on top of those fuel tanks. 
you got the uh, rubber gas lines. They don't like to really gnaw on those, so you're pretty safe there. But anything that's rubber as far as your uh, vacuum system in these cars, and then even the uh, plastic lines now that we're seeing chew marked through the plastic lines. Like Eric was saying, these little suckers can eat concrete. And when they just keep gnawing and gnawing and gnawing, then the reason I know they can eat wood pretty good is because I had one that was in my garage area, and I closed the door. How he got into the garage, I don't know. But I know how he was trying to get out because he eat most of the bottom part of the door jam out. And uh, so, yeah, they're very real. But I use a trap. I caught seven out of my attic when I first moved in out here on a brand-new house. Uh-huh. And uh, some of those suckers are big as a banny rooster. You get them out of there, and you, you put them in that have-a-heart trap, and then you pick the trap up, and then that son of a gun's running around. My my misfortune was I set it down in the floor of the garage before I took it outside, and he ran up against the side and turned that, and I've got a medium-sized trap, and he turned that sucker over, and the door come open, and he was gone. Oh. Yeah. Well, let's see if he let's see if he's stupid. So I set the trap back up in the floor, right where he turned it over, and I put peanut butter in it. Oh, that's another thing I want you to cover. But I put peanut butter on the flap, and then the next morning I'd recaught him. Then I took him out, and I took him out to my neighbors and donated it to my neighbors. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) But I don't know if pack rats are, are pack rats territorial. Yes. That, <coughs> so if I take him out 100 yards from the house, I can expect to see him again. He'd probably beat you home, yes. Yeah. All right. Are rattlesnakes territorial? No. Oh, good. No, that's, they that's they do have know. a home range. Okay. Uh, now, uh, is there anything electric? You know they make these little electric uh, dog fences that you bury down in the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, does that affect pack rats? Will they sense that and stay away from it? Uh, I don't think they will care about that at all, no. Okay. In other words, the only way to get rid of the pack rats, if I've, if I've copied you right, and I have done 90% of the stuff that you're talking about, but mm-hmm. when I go out to get the prickly pear cactus and it has a pack rat nest in it, I will eliminate that pack rat nest. But I'd forgotten about my agaves, and I'm, I'm having a landscaper come over probably next week, and I'm going to have him trim all of that stuff up again. I've done it twice since I've been here. Good. They grow so fast, and that yeah. stuff is so thick and so rough to get rid of. That's the reason I don't uh, treasure going out with a set of loppers and try to cut it off. Yeah. And uh, I do have a, I do have an electric chainsaw with on an extended pole, though, one of those little and I plug that in, and that makes a mess. It's not quite as clean, but at least you can get access to it so that you can use a lopper in it and clean it up on the cut. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah. but the pack rats, you know. Now, I got a question. Is uh-huh. it the female pack rats that have the nest and stuff, or is it the, they move out and the male rat moves in? So Where's the male pack rat at? He has his own nest. Um Typical of most male, we're a lazy bunch, okay? The male uh-huh. nest is not well-constructed. It's very simple. They're never home. They're out looking for females. 
defending their territory, exploring, roaming. The females have the more elaborate nests. So sometimes you can look at this nest and you can you can determine, yeah, this is going to be a female nest just because so much effort went into it. So you trap, you know, you trap the animal, and sure enough, the first night you catch, you check the sex, and it, it, it's a female. Second night, you may catch a male there. Uh, you, know, you have no idea if she was in season, male was visiting. You, you just don't know. Right. But yeah, the, the male nests, the ones I've seen, um, they, they tend to like. I, it seems like I catch them a lot in the barbecues, pool equipment. They're usually very simple. The uh, the uh, uh, irrigation boxes. Um, the females really go through a great effort of, of building these large nests and just whatever's readily available. Sometimes just, you know, basically a mesquite tree, it's full of a, a bunch of sticks. Sometimes you look at this and if it was along a body of water, you would think that you had a beaver because it's just a huge beaver lodge, but it's just, it's just pack rat. Right. But, right. Uh, go on through. the, uh, you met, you mentioned pools and outdoor kitchens and stuff like that. Uh, is there any way you could keep the little mice out of that? I mean, how do you keep the mice out of this? I've patched every hole in the world that I can find, and I'm still having these little field mice that come in, or, well, they're mice. I don't know what they're field, or what their category is. The ones that drill the holes on the side of the foundation, about a one-inch hole. Yeah, uh, yeah, those guys. Now I have used poison on them, but when I use the poison in the hole, I put it in the hole, and then I put a rock or something so that they cannot exit that hole. If not for them, I just don't want the the birds and stuff like like that picking them up. And so I try to make them stay in the hole. And then yeah. I thought, well. Then uh, for the people out there that have javelina rolling around your property, you can put that uh, poison, that rat poison, down these little holes, and you only lose use a teaspoon. Put it down in there as far as you can get it. You put dirt in it, then put a rock on top of it. Next morning after I did that thing for about three hours, uh, these little stinkers, the next morning I went out, the javelina had come across the yard. Every place that I had put the rat poison was uh-huh. dug up, rooted up out of the ground by the javelina. So that was a waste of money. And yeah. I thought, well, now I need to start looking around see if I killed any javelina. No, they're <laughs> yeah. just as healthy as they always were. But, you know, I, I've just seen so many things that we've tried that don't work. So what's oh, your yeah. recommendation for the little field mouse? All right, so we have five to seven really common species of mice here that we encounter on a daily basis. A lot of them are just subterranean, uh, just ter- you know, uh, digging in your soils. You'll, you'll see the little inch holes throughout your property. You have a little kick out. And, mm-hmm. yeah, it's unsightly, but there's not a lot you can do about it. Our soil, if you've dug around it enough, it, you'll, you'll notice it's like concrete. It holds a burrow very well. So you can try breaking up the top six to eight inches of soil. And so the idea is the animal will come up to the area, start digging, it, it kind of collapses on them. But it's just it's temporary. Uh, when you get some moisture on it again, it's going to solidify and just turn to concrete again. And all I've done around my house is just I just pushed them to different areas. So trapping them, using the, the, the small little uh, old-fashioned Victor mouse traps, baiting it with peanut butter. Yeah. Putting against an yeah. object, uh, you know, the, our rodents will always travel along a, an object, uh, length of wall, you know, something like that. They don't right. like to travel out in the open very much. Mm-hmm. 
you do need a lot of patience trapping for mice. Uh, rats are so much easier to trap than mice. And you have to go with a large number of traps usually. Like I, I've put 23 in a garage to catch three mice before. So you, you do have to go big. And you need a lot of patience. Um, it's up to you whether you try to do this yourself or not. It, you know, yeah, yeah. you'll, you'll, you'll well, drop the population a little bit, but is it really... <laughs> Is it really going to help you? I don't know. Now, yeah. keeping them out of barbecue. In other words, we... Mm-hmm. So we just have to live with them? Basically. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So on my uh, outdoor kitchen, so the only way I can keep them out of the grills, and how in the world they get in that grill, I have no idea. Okay, but, so... Uh, because couple, it is a couple out- areas that, outdoor kitchen. Yeah, so outdoor kitchen area, you always have the grill... You'll have a very large space, usually right underneath your drip tray. And these animals climb everything. They don't climb glass. They don't climb up some of the more smooth metals. But they'll climb up the stucco wall, and they'll enter the area right below the drip tray, and then they get into the island. Or they'll enter the grill from the rotisserie side. You have a little gap on each side of the grill. Or they'll enter from the back, the rear of the lid. And they can set up shop underneath their grates in your grill, or they'll be under the island. So you, another, another access point is this, a lot of people have refrigerators out in their outdoor kitchen area. So you want to screen, I, I do. Yeah. So you want to screen the top of the fridge, the sides, as well as the bottom. Use an eighth-inch screen or quarter-inch screen. Uh, secure it with silicone. Um, that will help keep them out. But I will tell you that it's very challenging to keep mice out of stuff. They can get their head in the smallest little openings, smaller than a dime in some situations. It's really hard wow. to fight an animal like that. Wow. You know, a pack rat, wow. uh, well, you know, I, I, quarter size. I have oh. had... Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> I have had... What about you use this foam, this expanding foam? Does that work? Or do they just No, their teeth it? go right through it. So a lot of people will try to uh, screen areas on their houses uh, with the foam. Uh, it makes my job a lot easier because you just walk around the house and you find out where all the foam's been chewed up, little bits of it everywhere. So you, you, know, you <laughs> grab your ladder and the light, and you, you can find out where the access point is because the animals just, their teeth go through everything. If they want to come into your home and the only thing stopping them is some, some of that self-expanding foam, they're just going to chew right through. Right. Okay, then I won't waste my time on that. No. How about stainless? How about this stainless steel that you can buy that we use a lot to clean car parts with? You know, like a scrub pads. Does that uh, work any good? But uh, you mean as like far the, uh, as they just move the steel it out wool. Are you, are you talking about steel wool? Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, even though we're in Arizona, that steel wool still rusts on you. It corrodes. Um, it. It fails if, if you don't jam it in there tight enough. The animal is just going to pull it out. So we see a lot of issues where people will um, use the steel wool around their AC units or around their little wall drains, and right. it doesn't it doesn't help. Quarter inch screen they cannot chew through. You just have to secure it very well. That's why the silicone works really well. Um, yeah. I. I I don't know why. I, it may be the taste or the texture. But they don't chew through the silicone. But uh, really? and they obviously can't chew through the screen. So you, you, using screen around the property is good. Um, half inch is okay in 
some situations, a mouse can still get through a half-inch screen. Um, it will keep right. a rat out. Some some applications, the half-inch screen that you would use is, is around a wall drain where you're going to have a lot of water movement, especially after the monsoon rains. Um, you don't want right. to use anything smaller there because it's just going to clog up on you. Uh, it still may clog up on you uh, with a half-inch screen, but, you you know, it's easier to get to. Right. Well, you, you know, you can always reach and grab the screen with a pair of pliers and pull it off if it's silicone on. Oh, yeah. But definitely. you, you know, and so I, I'm glad to hear that because I've got a couple of places I'm thinking of right now that I can do that. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, I, I just... I thought, well, you can use the foam, and then I got to thinking, that doesn't have any, nothing. I mean, no. I know what they, if they hadn't eat through half my baseboard on a, uh, or actually it was a wall on uh, in my garage, then uh, if I hadn't seen that, I, I, I would probably have a different attitude. But, yeah, yes. no, I, I can use the screen. I can use the screen. I know how to use silicone. But that is a good, that'll save my butt on a whole lot of stuff. I'll go back out and take another look inside because I tried to put the screen up on the inside of uh, uh, behind the refrigerator and all of that, but I never thought about putting the screen on the refrigerator itself. I can do that. I can yeah. do that because when I pulled it out, I mm-hmm. yeah, I did have those little boogers that had been making a nest on the bottom of the tray. And uh, so I pulled it out, cleaned it all out, vacuumed it all out, uh, you know, sprayed a little stuff in there, you know, a uh, little pine saw. And, um, you know, and then I looked again about four days ago and I said, no, no. Yeah. So I've got to go back and visit that. So, yeah. Yep. Wow. Now they, they, oh, my they Lord. Set- everything. Uh, I'm sorry. have anything. They, they, they do getting. They get into everything here. Uh, we can't have any openings on any of our equipment. You know, uh, pool heaters. Pool heaters have a lot of access points for these guys. Pool heaters are just a great mm-hmm. environment. Um, it just kind of like same principle with the car hood. When, once they get inside, they're nice, secure, uh, very good concealing space. Um, they just uh, feel very comfortable inside there. So you got to screen all the access points around a pool heater, um, barbecues, as much as you can, mm-hmm. keep animals out around your outdoor kitchen island. Check around your uh, check around the base as well. A lot of our builders here will leave an opening on the sometimes it's the ground level. Um, you want to make sure all those areas are screened so there's no access into the island itself. Wow. Okay, yeah, that's kind of hard to see when you're walking around your house, whether or not the bottom has been screened. But that would be. Okay, I know exactly what you're talking about, but the as far as the pack rats, I've got a tile roof mm-hmm. on my home, and uh, I had a pack rat inside the hood vent of the microwave. Okay, and I'm going, how in the heck did he get in there? They said, oh, they go over the little vent cover up on top and go down. They just they're messing around up there and they fall in. Yeah, but uh, the thing thing, and I didn't realize about a pack rat when they panic, they will actually keep it in high gear until they have a heart attack and die. I did not know that until I seen it firsthand. Yeah, and but I'm oh my lord. Well, what else you got? You want to scare the devil out of me in this morning? We're running out of time now. We're down about four minutes. 
so the recommendation for the cars, the recommendation for the automobiles, and I'm talking other things that a lot of us out here have tractors and stuff. I raised the hood on my tractors because I did have a pack rat condo going on in there. But I raised the hood on it, and I hang a light on it, mm-hmm. and I haven't had any more problem. Is that okay, still good. the number one way that you recommend? I mean, other uh, than removing a pack rat nest? Uh, park in an area as open as you can. These animals don't like crossing open ground. That's not to say that they won't, because you will see them cross the roads at night. But park in an area mm-hmm. where you don't have a lot of vegetation around you. So you try to, as open an area as you can, work on the landscaping around the area. Don't don't give these guys more cover than they need. They're just, you know, they're opportunists. They're going to take advantage of any cover that they have. So you want to open up the bottom, uh, keep the plants as vertical as you can around the house, around your, 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 your cars, your tractors, minimize hiding spots in your carports. You know, don't have a whole lot of uh, material that's inside there. All it does is create hiding spots. Uh, we all have a little bit of pack rat in us. We, we, we store stuff. We collect stuff. Um, uh-huh. it, it litters things. But all we're doing is creating hiding spots for these guys, and we're just giving them help. Um, so you go around your property, look at it like you would through the eyes of a pack rat. Where would you like to hide? Where are you going to feel safest? Where are you going to be more concealed? And if you do that, if you keep stuff away from the walls, uh, minimize uh, the amount of clutter inside your, your garage, your carport, uh, around your expensive equipment and keep the area open, the vegetation nice and uh, landscaped. Um, it, it's the only way to live with these guys, and that's all we're trying to do is just trying to trying to live with these guys. You can't keep them from off your property. Um, right. Trapping is always a great thing to do. Uh, I use peanut butter and oatmeal on my, my, my baits, but uh, dried fruits, different nuts. I've even used... Uh, uh, a piece of aluminum foil rolled up into a ball because I had a very challenging animal that I had difficulty trapping. Dog food, um, uh, bird feeders, uh, it's bird feeders hanging bird feed, bird seed outside. Um, it, it's not just the birds eating the, the food, especially at night. Uh, don't mm-hmm. don't bring the animals to you. Uh, quail block is, is something that we just don't recommend people using. Uh, you know, <laughs> everything likes the quail block. Oh. But these, these animals are hoarders, and they will take the quail block. I've seen it. They, they they take it. They carry it up on your roof. They'll jam it under your tiles. You'll find it in your attic space. Um, and, and this is like three doors down from where the feeder was. So, yeah, these animals are hoarders. They, they'll always take stuff. Wow. And don't wow. don't give them more than what they need. Don't help them out. Wow. All right. Well, we're just about out of time now. How much time we got left, Andrew? Uh, you got uh, 90 seconds, Jerry. 90 seconds. Okay, a minute and a half. All right, a minute and a half. Now, you've listened to Mr. Packrat, Eric Bell, who is the uh, – he must be somewhere up the line on that. Or do you actually – are you the manager now for Mr. No, Packrat's Eric? I, I'm just an employee. There's, there's a total of eight of us in the company. I just cover the west yeah, side. So, I live in the town of Oracle, so I cover a lot of the, what, yeah. the west side. Wow. I bet you have a lot of pack rats up there. Holy cow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this yeah. is a population uh-huh. that is not struggling at all. 
All right. And your phone number, the phone number is uh, 529-9191. 529-9191. That's Mr. Packrat. If you want to get a hold of Eric, please do. And uh, it sounds like we've got the right professional on the end of the phone here. So we've done picked his brain until I've run just about out of questions. But on Packrats, I've I've known for doing these shows longer, uh, we can cover two hours on Packrats, especially when the people start calling in on the particular items that they have. Hopefully we've covered enough information to help you control As Eric says, we have to live with them, but, uh, you know, we just have to live with them, so you need to mitigate the circumstances and the amount of damage that they can actually do. So, if you need additional information, please call Eric, 529-9191. He'll be happy to answer all your questions. Eric Bell, thank you for coming on and doing the show with us.